Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Drivers Meeting Podcast, hosted by RJ Starcevic and driver and team owner in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, Tommy Joe Martins. Welcome back to the Drivers Meeting Podcast. Uh, a wild, wild weekend at Circuit of the Americas. Um, but back here with another episode of the podcast, presented by Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. It has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best place to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So uh, you also know that the NBA playoffs just begun, so make sure to get your bets in on there. I know Tommy's job is Memphis Grizzlies. Not a lot of people bet on the bet on Memphis Grizzlies, did they, Tommy? No, and they should have wound up uh, winning game one against the Jazz. I think the uh, the other game is tonight, second game. So I'm excited about that. Game two, yeah. Make sure to get your bets in. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So, yeah, that was just one of the crazy things that happened this weekend. Memphis Grizzlies upsetting, coming in. Well, they won the, the play-in game first. They had to get through the two play-in games. They had to get through the Warriors. They had to get through Steph Curry. And now they're um, playing the one seed, the Jazz. They win the first game. You liking their chances the second game? I like their chances. I feel like the Grizz are deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're young, and now they're playing with a lot of confidence. And uh, John Morant is uh, not scared of anybody. And he is clearly showing himself as one of the the best young guys in the league. So I love our team. I love rooting for the team. Um, they have a great chemistry, and they're going to put up a fight. I mean, I, I see this this series is probably going to go six or seven games. Oh yeah, yeah. If they can win the two games on the road here to start, and then go back home to Memphis and some momentum. I look at John Moran. I was comparing to to young D- Derrick Rose. I got the poster back there. Yeah. I, I'm I'm a big Derrick Rose fan, so I love I love John Morant's game and everything like that. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Hopefully next week we'll be coming back and talking about a Memphis Grizzlies uh, series lead, maybe. Oh yeah. Big ups. Yeah, I'll be tuned in tonight for sure. Oh yeah, me too. So here we go. Uh, we'll, we'll start talking about Circuit of the Americas. So you had your, as we noted last weekend, kick off the pod. You had your hundredth start. Uh, didn't go the way you would have liked it to go, but on the bright side, you do got you got a new car, you got a new sponsor this weekend at Charlotte. So I imagine you're you're looking forward to that, aren't you? Yeah, we're we're just trying to flush last weekend. That was a really disappointing day. Uh, the rain. Uh, really not being able to get in a good qualifying lap. I think it was a pretty bad effort by me. Probably too conservative there at the start of that rain qualifying session. Should have been more aggressive. And then conditions got worse, then they got better. Uh, basically, I didn't get my lap in at, at the end of the session. Uh, I ran into some traffic. Other guys really picked up there on the last lap. So pretty disappointed to even have to use a provisional. I mean, I like to think of myself as a better road racer than that. Yeah. Uh, we were 19th in practice the day before. So I don't think our, our pace was really bad. Uh, just a bad job by me uh, getting a lap in. And then during the race, obviously we were starting in the back, had to kind of manufacture some track position, uh, ran around some good cars there for a little bit, and then uh, ultimately blew a motor uh, there midway through the second stage. So not, not what we wanted. And now going to Charlotte, 
uh, here we go again. Another really deep field in the Xfinity series um, being the deepest. I think you've got 43 cars showing up for 36 spots. So it's going to be, again, very competitive. It's nice knowing that we've got that provisional in our pocket. If we need to use it, we're probably up high enough in the standings that that, that will be there. Um, but we're building a car right now and finishing up this super mega car uh, that we think is going to qualify very well. So we're, yeah. we're excited to get there this weekend and hopefully a little bit of a rebound. Yeah, I'm looking forward to qualifying this weekend for all three series, really. I mean, we haven't seen, I mean, I know the teams don't, most teams don't really care as much about just having all the practice qualifying of the mile and a half anyways, but I like it because just for qualifying and, and for TV, you'll get to see, you know, kind of who's got some speed, who doesn't, you know, in single car qualifying. So we haven't really seen that all year on an oval besides, well, you guys didn't even get to qualify for Daytona. So, so now we get to see it uh, at Charlotte. So hopefully you guys can put down a nice little hot lap at Charlotte. That'll be cool. But yeah, you mentioned the deep field. Um, BJ McLeod Motorsports is doing four, four cars for the first time ever. They got Chase Briscoe in the, in the Ford for uh, in the 99. He'll be running this weekend. So I think that's yeah his first uh, Xfinity start since his big season he had last year. So that'll be cool. Um, and then, yeah, they got the 76 for Stephen Parsons, uh, Reddick's back in the 31. So that'll be a big name to watch because that owner's points battle, I believe they're 20 ish points behind 40th, uh, owner's points, which is the 13 MBM, uh, car. And they've placed Timmy Hill in that 13 car this weekend. So knew that, probably knew that was back. coming. Knew yeah. That was coming. <laughs> <laughs> you had Boris in the car last week, but then they had a, a mechanical failure too. I believe something went wrong. So they ended up uh, not having that good of a finish because of that. They were like 10 laps down or something like that because they had to go get it fixed. So that was unfortunate. But yeah, everyone is fighting for these owner points. You do have Dylan Bassett. He'll, he'll be in the 77 this weekend. So they'll finally uh, get to one of the Bassets will make their debut this weekend uh, since Austin Dillon ran last weekend. So, oh, and then Ty Dillon. Can't forget Ty Dillon. He'll be in that 23 uh, for our for our motorsports. So that's interesting because he's been doing the thing for Toyota. And now I remember last week he was saying he was getting some deals together. And I guess now he's back um, doing a race in the Chevy camp, trying to just get all he can. So like you said, lots, lots of competition this week. Another just extremely deep field. And, and for everybody to understand all the chicanery that's going on here uh, from an owner point standings and, and all, all that that has to do with all this. If you are a casual fan, just tune out for about the next two minutes. But chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a diehard, right? Let's talk about the elephant in the room and the owner standings. And what we really have right now, what was really brewing at the back of this field, is Carl Long versus Jordan Anderson. What we really have is Timmy Hill versus Tyler Reddick. That's what we really have going on. The next week... We are going to go to Mid-Ohio. Mid-Ohio is going to have a locked-in field of 40 cars. Now, realistically, the only car that can get knocked out of the owner points top 40 at the moment is the 13 car of Timmy Hill. Now, that's really Carl Long's car, and it's not the number that Timmy Hill generally is driving. He's generally driving the 66 or even the 61 car. Those are considered kind of the two primary cars for Carl Long. The 13 has really been more of a start and park. Sometimes whenever they get a, a driver, um, like Matt Jaskell had a sponsor that lift kits for less, they, they ran the full race uh, with that 13 car. But for the most part, it's kind of just been a whatever. 
Well, that was actually a really valuable thing, just being locked into the races, right? I mean, that that's a big thing. And at the beginning of the year, Carl could have probably sold that to one of those two teams that were excluded, like a Jordan Anderson racing, uh, and didn't. He decided to hold on to that. And now here we are. Tyler Reddick goes and gets some stage points last week at Coda, gets a top 10 finish. He gains 38 points in one race. That's a lot of points. I mean, that's a lot of points. The most that Martins Motorsports has scored in a race this year is 30, I believe, where we finished in the top 15 and also got some stage points at Darlington. So that's basically what you got to do. You got to get stage points and close to a top 10 finish to kind of get that kind of points uh, in a race. But now they're only 21 points behind that 13 car, which is 40th, which means that if Jordan Anderson outscores Carl Long by 21 points this weekend, that 13 car will be excluded. It will not be a car anymore in that 40 car field. And the majority of the races this year aren't going to feature qualifying, right? So basically once you get in and with Jordan Anderson's equipment that he has rolled to the racetrack, which is basically one-year-old RCR cars and a an RCR ECR engine program. So he has got very good equipment. And they've clearly had a lot of time to prepare for these races. And Tyler Reddick has clearly signed on to be the driver here in the short term to try to get him up in the points. So they got a really talented guy behind the wheel, a guy that I consider a top 10 talent in NASCAR, really elite level guy. All right. Well, you know that the potential is there for them to score big points. So that leads to the decision to clearly put what Carl is going to put his best car his best driver or the driver that he has the most confidence in, I should say, in Timmy Hill, he's worked with the longest that he knows can lay a lap down and get him in the race. Because what, what you know is that's the 40th best car in owner's points. You have to put it in in the top 31 on time or you're going home. Yeah. So they're going to take their best shot with that 13 car in a way to defend against Jordan Anderson and Tyler Reddick having a big points day. So realistically, if you got to look at it that way, you would say here, if, if this is me guessing at it, because we had a laugh about this at the shop today, where we said, you know, if I'm them, I feel like I got to score about 15 points to feel good about it. To feel good about it, I got to score probably around 10 to 15 points. That means they've got to finish between 20th and 25th. Now, that might sound like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Trust me, this is a deep field. It's going to be a little bit of a big deal to finish there. And clearly, Carl Long and them have struggled at times for speed this year and reliability being the, the primary thing. So they're going to put their best effort forward in that 13 car as a way to play defense on Jordan, maybe cutting them out. Or I say Tyler Reddick, really cutting them out and excluding them from going to Mid-Ohio, because then that's another chance for them to gain. So then it would really swing, right? Then it would be basically over because Jordan would get points on a week that the 13 car wouldn't even be in the race. So they would jump him by a ton. And that's really what's going on here. Uh, Jordan Anderson is basically fighting for his life to try to get into the field for the first time all year and really lock himself in. And Carl Long is fighting for his life with his third car to try to preserve his spot in the field, which is really, I think, a fascinating story and really interesting. And I haven't seen anybody say anything about it. 
Exactly. I think, yeah, there needs to be some more talk about kind of what's going on uh, regarding those spots going into this weekend. Because, yeah, again, um, for, for those who don't know, it's 36 uh, with qualifying, 40 when we don't have qualifying. And last week, this field is so deep. When we looked at all the DNQs from Circuit of the Americas, it was crazy. It was like, I mean, you had Kyle, we- you had both Mike Harmon racing cars, Weatherman and Bailey Curry. Bailey Curry scored a top 10 this season. Josh yeah. Williams has scored top 10s. Cesar Baccarella was D- a DNQ. Stephen Light is actually a pretty good road racer, did well at the Daytona Road Course when yeah. he drove. Jeffrey Earnhardt, Jesse Little, those were all the DNQs. And you look at all those names and you're like, wow, you know, some very decent team. But the field is full-time so teams, full-time yep. drivers got sent home. And, and Josh Williams is obviously the most surprising, but I'll tell you what, they're probably not the biggest fans of me at the moment because because my team took a provisional and Jeremy Clements took a provisional and Ryan Sieg took a provisional and all this kind of goofiness that happened in that rain qualifying session. It basically you had to be in the top 19 in owner points to get a provisional. Yeah. That is really, really tough. And that's generally not the way this goes, right? Because theoretically, you would say the best teams generally are going to qualify in the top 31 spots, right? So the provisionals generally shift down the field a little bit further. But I believe Michael Annette took a provisional. Oh, yeah. And the 26 car, Chris Wright took a provisional. So as far back as the owner points went, it was was 19th. And Jeremy Clements and I were standing there talking about it on pit road. Obviously, all of us are competitors, and we're embarrassed to not have put it in the top 31, right? I mean, you sit there and you just are like, wow, I guess I, I suck. But he said that is that is the lowest he's ever seen the provisionals go. Like generally, the provisionals will go back to the twenties, maybe even to the thirties on the last provisional. That was really, really wild, and it and it tells you in a season like this where you have so many other guys waiting to try to qualify in. Like BJ McLeod is expanding to four cars as they're going to to uh, to Charlotte this week. Obviously, you know that Chase Briscoe car is not a BJ McLeod Motorsports car. We, we all know that. But it is what it is, right? And BJ is fighting for his life because they realize if they fall down in these owner points too far, it might be a really tough season to try to recover. And, and you might not be able to. Yeah, yeah. With the Xfinity Series, the schedule, I mean, yeah, we're going into, uh, like you said, mid-Ohio and Texas, who the field will be sub by 40. But then we go right to Nashville with qualifying, with practice. So you'll have to qualify your way in. They'll take top 36. Then it's Pocono, then back to qualifying at Road America. Then Atlanta, New Hampshire, Watton's Glen, and then back to qualifying at the Indy Road Course. So yeah, it's not just this race ahead. There's also, you know, the future. You want to get some points, but obviously you want to make sure you're locked into the top 40 uh, for these events. So yeah, those DNQs are crazy. And yeah, like you said, Mike Lynette was, I believe, 38th on the charts in qualifying. He did end up finishing 11th in the race. I think got some stage points too as well. But yeah, that was just the craziness of, of qualifying. They were down there in 38th. I believe Chris Wright was down in 39th and used, used those provisionals that kicked yeah, I was 32nd. Out. I missed it by half a second. I felt like, and, and really, if you're just here to be, you know, just be honest about it. My, my good friend, Ryan Ellis, is the one that cut me out. He was 31st. If he hadn't been 31st, they would have gone home, right? Like, let's let's inverse that. If I had been 31st, it would have knocked Ryan Ellis out. It would have put Josh Williams in, I think, is the way that would have worked out. And I, I don't want Josh to go home either. I love racing against Josh Williams. He's a great racer. I, I don't want anybody to go home. I mean, I, I know how devastating it is to get sent home from one of these races. 
Uh, at the same time, like I know how hard Ryan has worked to get opportunities and I have driven for BJ McLeod and I know how, how nervous and everything they were for this event. Um, so to see them get in by the skin of their teeth, like if anybody was going to cut me out, I'm glad it was, I'm glad it was my, my friend, Ryan Ellis. And, and really we knew that we were probably locked in realistically, but we were the fourth out of five provisionals and we were 19th in the owner's points going in. So that is nuts. That is crazy just how tight that is. Yeah, that, that battle is tight. And you can definitely see where why BJ McLeod is going to chase Briscoe and the, the SHR cars and where the drivers are going around Timmy Hill at 13. So, man, it's tight owner's battle. But, yeah, that race at Circuit of the Americas dominated by Kyle Busch. You guys didn't really have to deal with a bunch of wet downpour weather like we did in the cup race so let's talk about that cup race very interesting stage one i thought stage one was a lot of fun because i believe the whole stage went green you had about six ish cars that started on the wet weather tires kind of took a gamble um and then all of a sudden everyone comes scrambling in the next few laps for for the wet tires austin Sindrick, who just isn't human stays out there for like seven laps on slicks in a downpour of rain that was hilarious um but he made it work uh came down still kept some good track position led a good amount of laps uh that stage one was a lot of fun but then that's what happened after that is what caused a lot of uh controversy rumblings through everybody really uh we had I think we went about three laps screen in stage two and it was just the vision on that long straightaway was very bad so cars were running over each other we kind of had that first incident i think it was blaney bell bubba and harvick kevin harvick's first dnf since bristol 2019 that's that's a crazy stat but he was involved in that done for the day and then the restart after that um huge lick i mean that was just it's crazy scary watching where uh truex ran in the back of mcdowell and i'm looking at custer the whole time driving on that blimp cam they had going i'm like oh this isn't gonna be good and bam right in the back of them right into the into the wall and then after that they stopped the race for i think about a half hour maybe half hour 45 minutes red flag to kind of clear it up and then went back racing and it was going well until the rain really hit they called the race chase elliott wins so the, the big discussion was, was it the right decision to kind of call the race at the end or should they have tried to, to wait it out? You know, the thing here is, should they have done it in the first place? Pro probably not. Right. I mean, and that's that's what we know. Um, should they have called it at the end? I've heard the drivers be split. I wasn't in one of the cars. Right. I wasn't driving one of those cup cars. Obviously, the conditions were really bad there at the end of the race. But I heard a lot of guys say they weren't significantly worse than they really had been the whole time. So that's tough. And what it sounds like here, what we're really talking about, is just should we be racing in the rain in general? Uh, that, that's generally where that's where any of this is kind of wound up. And when I hear guys like Kevin Harvick, who I think is one of the best to ever do this, and he gets out of a car and he says, that's the most unsafe I've ever felt in a race car. That's pretty serious. And I can say that's exactly how I felt at the Roval last year. And just because other guys get out of the car after running well in the race, and just because other guys get out and go, well, you know, we, we got a good finish. 
just about every single one of them said that it was stupid. Everybody that I ever talked to about that race said that that was really dumb and it was really dangerous and they couldn't see anything. And we just kind of kept going around. Now, guys adapt to it. Personally, I crashed and I rode around there for the rest of the race with a torn up car and it was still sketchy as I don't know what. So it's not like I was just in the garage hanging out. Like I was out there running around <laughs> wide open up there on the banking. Uh, yeah. Other guys clearly did it better than I did, right? But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that it's still a good idea. It's probably not a good idea. And I guess this really just asks the better the bigger question here is what what is more important? Is it more important for us to put on a show for television? Or is it more important for us to put on good racing, a good racing product? Like that, that's really it. That's the that's the big question here. I think all the race car drivers would sit here and say, you know, racing in the rain is a challenge and it's something we can adapt to and I can get better at and all this yada, yada, yada. Yeah, that's fine. I'm talking about a much bigger question here, which is like, should we be doing it in the first place? Because like our cars really aren't meant for this. And anybody that immediately wants to say, well, Formula One cars race in the rain. Yeah, they do. They are way lighter, way, way lighter than our cars, right? Then they go, oh, well, Grand Am cars race in the rain and GT cars race in the rain. They are literally built to adapt to rain conditions. Like when they are designing the car, they go, all right, we have got to build in defrosters, windshield wipers, all this stuff is custom. Everything on the dash is custom. We have different fans, vents, everything else that's built into the car. We're retrofitting a car that we've already been racing for five or six years with really like outdated technology when it comes to defrosting the windshield and visibility. And that was the big concern here, RJ, right? It's not driving the cars around in the rain on the wet tires. Th that is a challenge in and of itself, but that's not the dangerous challenge. The dangerous challenge is not being able to see out of the race car when you're doing 150 something miles an hour. That's what caused the huge wrecks that we saw, the really dangerous wrecks that we saw. That happened at the Roval. We had cars off the racetrack, stopped up against barriers in really dangerous locations where you couldn't see them. And we're just out there riding around. And you're trying to go as fast as you can, and you can't see 10 feet in front of your face. And so when Kevin Harvick stood up there at the back of the trailer and said, that was stupid, that was really dangerous, to me... That, that almost was a little bit of validation for me because I had said that and in a way you get looked at like you're a coward. Like it's weird for me to say that, like that, hey, that was really dangerous and we probably shouldn't have done that. And they're like, well, everybody else didn't wreck like you and everybody else didn't seem to. Wreck. Okay, if you looked at that lineup after our Roval race last year, because that's what I'm comparing it to, that looked like a demo derby field. Basically, everybody in the whole field ran into something. It was just a degree of how much. So how much money did that cost the teams? A whole lot of money. And was that made up anywhere? No. And what was it really for? It was like to put on a TV show so that we didn't have to delay the TV show time slot that we were scheduled for. That was really what it was about. We got to fit this into the TV window. TV is going to be upset if we got to push this back. Well, what are we doing here? <laughs> Like, you know what? A demo derby is pretty entertaining, but that's not NASCAR. That's not racing at the second highest level or the highest level in American stock car racing. That's not 
that's not what we're doing. And like the product that was on the racetrack a couple of days ago at Coda, to me, like, you know what, that's more of like a cartoon Biddy Hill thing than it is a race. Like, I mean, do you just want to see guys crash and spin out and wreck? Okay. I mean, yeah, is that entertaining? Sure. But that's not a good race. And it's really dangerous what we're doing here. And we're lucky that somebody didn't get hurt. So this goes back to what I've said on the podcast a few times, RJ, which is like NASCAR should do the things that we're better at than anybody else. That's what we ought to focus on. We're really good at short track, asphalt, tight, hard-nosed racing. We do that better than anybody else in the whole world. It's not even close. That's what makes us unique. The fact that we can go 180 miles an hour and still run into each other, rough each other up a little bit and keep racing. That's it. We're really good at that. But somewhere along the way, we have now converted into wanting to do a lot of other things with these race cars. Race in the rain, way more road courses. Let's go to a street circuit. Let's take it to a dirt track. Let's run a roval where, you know, multiple rovals. Where now we're doing Daytona and, and uh, you know, the Charlotte road course. That's not what these cars are really designed to do. They're designed to turn left and go fast. That's it. So we're asking them to do a lot more things and they're just not great at it. And then everybody goes, well, that's good. It makes it a challenge. Well, yeah, but it's a challenge. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a great product to watch. And I wonder, like, is that the direction we're going here where we just want a car that can do everything, but it's not going to do one thing great. And it's like, th does that take away from your series? Like Formula One, way better at racing in the rain than we are. Way better on a road course, way better on a street circuit. Same thing with Grand Am cars and GT cars. They're way better at that kind of stuff. Dirt cars are better at racing on dirt than we are. So we're doing these other things and we're not great at doing it, but it's like we're for we're almost forcing it. Like, and it it's not it's not leading to anything productive other than television gets like a more entertaining really wrecked field costly product to all the race teams and so that's to me is a little bit of an issue yeah I, coming into this year we knew that we we kept using the word experimental that everything kind of we were doing was kind of going to be an experiment and and for this rain this wet weather there like i think i can't remember who on the broadcast said it might have even been uh one of the drivers but there's there is a difference between racing in the rain and racing in damp conditions, wet conditions on a wet racetrack, right? We've right. done we've raced on a wet racetrack before. We've uh, back when I mean the most memorable one is Xfinity at Road America. You know there were cars going yes. off and stuff like that, but it wasn't downpouring rain, right? It wasn't you know it wasn't ruled an unsafe condition. Um, but the Charlotte Roval um, last year, a lot of people noted like that that NASCAR and people had said like, oh yeah, don't worry, that's the last time we're going to do something like that, right? And we fast forward to Coda and here we are again, different series, but still same thing. And I, I remember the, the Roval was another thing that is it was getting dark, like it was getting dark. I mean, just the clouds and everything was making the track dark, but it was getting dark. We we're losing daylight. You didn't have enough lights in the infield. You had the big screen that drivers were complaining about on the backstretch that shining kind of as you went through, I yeah. think the second yeah. and third corners. Yeah. Even AJ Allmendinger, the the I think he was in like second or third place at the time on the radio. I remember they queued him up and was saying, I don't know why we're out here. You know, this is unsafe. And that was when they came out from the red flag. I think the guys put you under because it was pouring so hard and there were cars everywhere. And they were like, finally, okay, we'll stop it. 
And then when he sent him back out there, then it was dark. You know, the, the sun was going down. I, I remember I just, even on the TV cameras, you couldn't really see. And I know as a driver, it was probably much, much worse. Spotters um, couldn't help. I, I saw yeah. so many comments where it's like, oh, Cole Custer, what a terrible, that spotter ought to be fired. Guess what, guys? They can't see. They can't see. No. This, this isn't iRacing. You don't have a camera 10 feet behind the car following around. The spotters are located all the way down at both ends of that of that straightaway, right? You wouldn't put somebody as a spotter in the middle of a straightaway. That's not where you're going to put them. You're going to put them in the braking zones at both ends of the straightaway. So now all they see coming at them is a big wall of water from all the overspray on the cars. They, they can't even pick out their car. And they go, oh, well, Cole Custer should have known better. He can't see anything. And he's doing 160. And they go, well, he should have just eased up. Well, if you ease up, you're going to get run into from behind. That's what happened, yeah. So what are we talking about? It is That's a disaster. And really, and this is going to be me kind of putting myself out there and up for probably getting yelled at by NASCAR. Somebody in the area in race control needs to be a driver. Because nobody, I don't, who's the driver up there? Like right now, race control and decisions of cautions and all this stuff is being made by people that haven't been in a race car. And I can tell you, as somebody that was a part of that same mess that we were in last year, I would have red flagged the race way, way earlier than that. As soon as you're hearing drivers on radios complain, I can't see anything, it is time to call it. That is not right. We said the same thing about the Bristol dirt track, and we said the same thing here about Coda. That is the most dangerous position you could ever put somebody in, is when they literally can't see out the windshield and you're asking them to race a car around a racetrack. We just cannot have that ever again. Yeah, we talked about this last week about something totally different. We need more kind of drivers, former drivers, making the decisions so they understand what a driver needs, what a driver's feeling, kind of from their standpoint. We talked about that same thing last week about something totally different. And now here we are at, at Coda and this kind of came to life, you know? And yeah, like on that, the blink. You have to, protect, you have to protect us from ourselves, RJ. Like yes. that's, your, that's your job, right? Like my job in the race car is pass everybody. And it's a green flag and we're out here racing. So I, I got to I gotta make something happen, whether I'm uncomfortable or not. I got a lot of people, sponsors, my team, everybody looking at me like, hey, dude, we, you got to go make something happen. We don't care if it sucks. You know, every, everybody's got to deal with it. Right. So it's really up to race control in those decision making people to sit there and go, this is too dangerous. And, and to their credit, they came out afterwards and said, Scott Miller, competition director for NASCAR, said we should have red flagged this way earlier. We let this go way too long. All right. That should never be something that's ever said. I want you to think about this. Think about if the UFC got done after a fight and said, yeah, you know, we're really sorry. We let that go way too long. Like there are really dangerous implications for that. And in fact, the UFC has been yelled at way often for like, hey, you stopped the fight too early. To which they immediately can go, well, that's a safety thing, right? We we know guys are going to get knocked out, but we, we can't have everybody getting seriously hurt. So we always err on the side of caution. All right. Well, and NASCAR apparently is erring on the side of, yeah, we'll figure it out. You know, after they wreck about 12 cars, that's when we'll decide to make a decision on this. And that is crazy. Like we need to be more preemptive on that side of things. Yeah, for it, it does now that you bring up, you know, like the amount of crashes we've seen, like for a sport, for everybody that's so, you know, it, it seems like we've cared a lot the past few years about cutting costs, right? Save, saving the team's <laughs> money. 
Where yeah. where is that when they're out there destroying half the field in these in these races, you know, in these unsafe conditions that the drivers are saying, you know, I don't I don't get that. You know, I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of problems, underlying problems. One thing that I thought of is I mean, everyone says everyone said this for years now that we need we don't need stages on road courses. Um, stages grouping the field back together. I thought that was one part of what we saw. Not not the biggest problem, obviously, but I felt like there there's always a problem under a problem. And I felt like stage one, you know, there wasn't really much much of a problem. There was, you know, it was still raining. Uh, obviously, the rain was coming down. The track wasn't as wet. It obviously, just kept getting wet. But everything started right when we grouped everyone back up for for stage two, right? And going down that back stretch, you know that everyone driving um you know three four wide everyone's swerving and kind of letting off too because they don't want to be right behind somebody you know the spray from the cars and and that light i guess on the back of the car only shows you can only see it from you know so far especially when it's, there's big, it's as big as your fist rj it's no exactly. bigger than that yeah it is very small and and i heard jeremy clements echo this on twitter it was the same thing that i said you know, you, you don't like making excuses as a race car driver and, and this is not an excuse i should have just figured it out to qualify better my final lap on the racetrack i ran up behind a little bit of traffic now were they like was i right behind them no they were probably about 30 car lengths in front of me but going down the back stretch i literally couldn't see anything and so i couldn't pick up my brake markers i i, I was hydroplaning midway down the back stretch and you don't you don't want to do what cole custer did right so in that that deal i lifted a little earlier it broke a little earlier and then got to the corner and went wow okay well i could have probably driven it in a lot deeper and jeremy did the same thing right and some other guys did the exact same thing now other guys just sent it in there probably and they ran a better lap but that is a really weird position to put everybody in and you bring up an interesting point here when you talk about grouping the cars back up because here are the big let's go over them right let's just run this down real quick everybody that's pro rain racing Let's just, this is the immediately comebacks on everybody. It's like other series race in the rain. Okay, Formula One hardly ever has cautions and they hardly ever group the field back up, right? So the field is spread out a lot. So you're basically running by yourself other than the initial start of the race, which is, guess what? Where a lot of the wrecks happen because they're all bunched up and they can't see anything, right? So there's, there's part one. Uh, part two, uh, other series have rain tires. Yes, they do. Their cars are generally a lot lighter than ours, so they're not going to kick up nearly as much spray, right? We got just a lot more weight, <laughs> and the tires are going to be pretty wide. Uh, cars are designed in other series for rain racing, and ours are not. That would be the third point here, uh, whereas our cars are now being retrofitted to race in the rain, and they're not really going to be very good at it, right? Because we're they're already designed, and now you're just trying to stick like an extra defroster thing in there and it's just not purpose-built for it when it comes to a lot of gt cars which i think would probably be a more direct comparison to what we do a lot of those cars rj are really retrofitted actual sports cars so they have like manufacturer built defrosters and like air conditioning systems and all that kind of stuff whereas ours is not ours is literally a bar about the width of a broom handle and it's about eh, about two feet long and it sticks down there on the bottom of the windshield and it's got some holes in the top of it and it supposedly blows out hot air and i would say that it works for about a spot on the windshield about as big as a maybe a basketball 
realistically about half the size of a basketball. It's about a bi- as big a spot as it really opens up on the windshield. I've never had one work very well. And that's the best we're coming up with. And it's like, well, that's what we got. And why are we going to continually put race car drivers in a spot where they're going to wind up having to drive in, in conditions where the car is not going to handle well, especially with sta- they always say we're going to call it with standing water. There's standing water all over the place. We're hydroplaning through five or six corners. Nope. Anything. They go, oh, they got rain tires. I mean, that's what happened to me at the Roval and about six other cars behind me. There was standing water in a corner. We went across the corner, hydroplane, hit the wall. All right. Well, no caution. No caution until six other people piled in there. So there's a lack of consistency here and a lack of understanding of really what's going on in the race car from both fans and the people that are in charge of, of making the calls on whether or not we're in raceable conditions. And clearly, a lot of that race went on in unraceable conditions. And because we're dealing with some of the best drivers in the world, they're able to kind of make it happen. Even in things that really shouldn't be working, they're able to make it happen and not make it look that bad. But we shouldn't be relying on that. And we got to save them from themselves when we know that they're in a dangerous situation. And they clearly, clearly were as somebody that's been in that before. Yeah, I, I just sometimes I wonder where where's the preparation for things like this, right? We we get these events and and I know we're trying to reach fans outside of the sport, right? Maybe from different motorsports, maybe just who don't watch motorsports at all. You know, do they think that NASCAR is a joke after watching that race, right? After watching what we did at Bristol Dirt, are they kind of do they think it's a comedy? You know, like yeah, we don't want to see more. Okay, right. And, and look, I know, and that, that's pretty. Like what you're saying right there, that's pretty pretty damning. And, and I wouldn't go that far with it, right? Yeah. Because people like watching the U.S. Open because guys make a lot of bogeys, right? Like there's really thick rough. Guys are going to hit bad shots. Yeah, there, there is a level to that where you go, you know what? I I know this is really challenging, and these guys are supposed to be the best. So who's dealing with it the best? And I can actually understand that part of it. What I don't like is that we are making decisions now completely based on the television crowd and not the crowd crowd, the people that paid money for campground spots, the people that paid money for pit passes, the people that we brought to the race as as guests, uh, the people that are working on the race cars, the people that are driving the race cars. Uh, we're not making money on the fans, you know, because we're just going, yeah, we're just going to run this race in terrible conditions where nobody can see anything. It's pouring down rain. And we're doing this so we can hold on to a television time slot. And the reason for that, RJ, is because television is spending so much money on this. That is the primary source of income for all of us in racing right now is that television contract. It's a huge deal. We've touched on it a little bit on the podcast before. But because of that, now they have basically way more power involved in this. Television does which is why you're seeing Goodyear developing the rain tire for damp conditions on an oval because television is saying, we got to be able to bank on getting this race in at this time slot because we are building programming around it. Whereas we, we've been in a pretty unpredictable sport now when it comes to the rain for, you know, forever. And it sucks. Like we don't want it to rain. None of us want it to rain. NASCAR doesn't want it to rain. It, it throws everything off. But we basically had had the, um, the stance 
for 50 years in the sport that if it was raining, we weren't going to run the race. That was it, because that's not the best product that we can put on. And really, NASCAR stood by that for forever. They just went, you know what? That's just not what we do. That's not our that's not our style of racing. These cars are already hard enough to drive. We don't need to put them out there on rain and and try to worry about fitting the cars for rain. So that was the stance for forever. But now that has seemed to shift within the last couple of years, really. Like, obviously, we've had the rain tires now for a while. But I feel like at the beginning of this, RJ, they were a lot quicker to call it in the rain than they are now. There was a basically like a, all right, look, we're going to red flag this. This is pretty bad. It seems like they're letting the whistle, <laughs> they're kind of swallowing the whistle on a lot of this lately. And it makes me think that really the motivation here is for television. And, and that's why I ask, who are we putting on a show for? Are we here to put on a show for the, for the million people watching at home? Are we here to put on a show for the 50,000 people that bought tickets and spent all this money to come to the racetrack? And I'm not saying there's a right answer, by the way. Like, I don't think like either one of those is great, right? I mean, there's, there's people that took time to watch the race on TV and there's people that took all that effort to come to the racetrack. Obviously you want both of them to be happy, but we've clearly started leaning one way with that. And I think it's away from the on-track product and the on and the at-track audience. Yeah. Luckily, I think this is the last race of the season where it's kind of an experiment like that. We didn't really think Coda was going to be that way. We thought it was just probably just going to be a nice normal road course. It was a great event. You know, there was a lot of people there. Felt like the event was put on well by the by the track, the facility. Um, but you know, it's kind of two two of the same feelings after after the weekend at Bristol Dirt and after this weekend at Circuit of the Americas. Like, wow, like you know, it's probably going to be back next year. And there's a lot that we probably can fix a lot. We can do better uh, as, as referring to NASCAR and officiating and stuff like that. Cause I mean that the truck, the trucks at Bristol dirt, when they rolled off for that first heat and didn't even make it a lap all covered in dirt. And we're like, you know, how did, did we not think of this problem or was, did we think it completely covered the, the grill screens to where the motors were overheating. So yeah. even the cars that didn't get wrecked, did they damage engines and everything else that goes into this? And we're talking about, and obviously I sound like an apologist here, right? Here's, here's the world's tiniest violin playing for everybody that's spending money to race, right? Like no fan wants to hear me complaining about the money that's being spent to go race these cars. Nobody cares. I get it. At the same time, like if you're NASCAR, I would hope that you have at least a little bit of a concern for all the people that are spending the money on this, right? Like NASCAR should be the one going to bat for us, really. And it feels like at times it's kind of the opposite where it's like, well, we're, we're doing it. Figure it out. Like you showed up to race here. You're willing to put your car at risk. Like we're all right. We're going to do it. That's tough. And this goes back to like, save me, save us from ourselves, right? Like please, please don't, don't make us have to do it this way when we know this is a more dangerous, a tougher, a sketchy version of this where we're probably going to destroy a lot of equipment and, and maybe put people at risk. Yeah, yeah, it was it, it was sucked to see too that uh, two of the guys that were DNF from the Cup race, Custer and, and Harvick, they had went out M and SHR. I mean, they really went all in this weekend. They got Custer and Harvick and Xfinity cars racing that race to to get ready for the Cup race, and ends up being nothing like the Xfinity race. And then they just get jumped right. on that straightaway. So, man, yeah, that like like you said, F one like people comparing it to F one. F one is very different. Like you said, they don't have cautions. They have like one, you know start at the beginning of the race where any crashes would be because everyone's there's 20 together. cars there's yeah. 20 cars rj on, on a four mile racetrack right 20 cars 
They're lighter. They're built for that. And they're never really grouped together except the first lap. So to me, there is no comparison to this, like none. And it's an open cockpit car. It's an open cockpit car. So your vision is based on your helmet. That's it. So what are we talking about? Like I'm enclosed in a, in a basically a GT car grouped up with everybody on restarts multiple times. And there's twice as many cars going around a racetrack. There is no comparison. So anybody that's wanting to say that really just is doing it, I think, to be a little bit of an agitator or they, they just haven't thought it through as much. And I would encourage them to. And as somebody who's driven the car on the racetrack, I can tell you that is the most uncomfortable I've ever been in a race car ever is racing these things in the rain. The car is liable to do anything at any time. I know there's guys that are better at it than me. I'm not saying that, right? Obviously, I need to get better at racing in the rain. We're going to keep doing it. But there are levels to this where you go, oh, okay, yeah, the track's a little bit wet versus it's pouring down rain and we've got standing water everywhere and I could go into a braking zone and completely lose control of the car for, for no, no, nothing that I've done wrong. And that's probably not a good place to be. Yeah. And it's not just the driver's safety. Like you said, it's the, you know, the cost of the cars wrecking a race car, like everyone did at Charlotte Roval. And it's more for the Xfinity teams. Cause you know, it hurts more of an Xfinity team, smaller Xfinity team to go junk their car in that Roval race than it is for, you know, SHR junk one in, in the cup race, yeah. but still, you don't want either, you know? And I, I just think there needs to be a little evaluation on that because of everything that NASCAR has come out the past few years, saving money. Okay. We're going to save the team's money, save the team's money. And then we do these things that, we're, we're junking at race cars, putting teams in this position and, you know, not only just putting their safety at risk, but just tearing up race cars. I don't think that's, that's a good thing at all. Um, you know, cause the truck race wasn't really a downpour of rain. It was just, you know, wet weather conditions. I thought it was a pretty good race, um, had some strategy here and there sometimes cut short because of the stages, unfortunately. And, uh, Xfinity race was good. Uh, you guys didn't have to deal with that. And I think the pouring rain, luckily, I think you guys, they, they, had, they had ruled that you guys had enough at the Charlotte Roval. So they, they gave <laughs> yeah. it to the cup guys. Mother nature good. spared us on that. Yeah. yeah. Hey, they kind of felt bad for you guys. So they said, all right, we'll, we'll spare them one this weekend and we'll just unleash it on the cup guys the next day. And cup race was going good stage one. And then it just rain got too, too big, grouped up the cars on those restarts. And there you go. Those were the, the issues, but yeah, that's, that was kind of just the main thing I got out of it. You know, just like, okay, we really need to save, or if we're cutting costs, trying to save teams money, you know, why, why are we out here putting teams in this position like this? Well, that's look, we can talk about the dirt and the, and dirt racing and rain racing are the two things that I immediately know I'm probably going to destroy the body on my yeah. race car. Like I, I just know because right, because everybody else is dealing with a lack of control, just like I am. We say that knowing that like when I put an entire body on one of my race cars, it's about 18 to $20,000. That's the parts, the labor, hanging it, everything involved with it. Well, we're only going to get paid for one of those races. Like, think about this. In trucks, they're going to get paid even less. But in the Xfinity series, we're going to get paid around $20,000 guaranteed, roughly, for being in an Xfinity series race. So, I want you to think about that. If you tear the entire body off your car, it basically costs every dollar that you got paid showing up. And that's not counting the entry fees, uh, the tires that you bought, the travel um, the pit crew, people that you've paid to work at the race. It's not counting all that. 
So just the body alone, basically was every dollar that you got paid. So for a lot of teams like mine, RJ, that are living off the prize money on a week to week basis, when you're basically saying, hey, we're going to put you out of conditions where there is a more than 50-50 shot that something completely out of your control is going to destroy your race car. That's probably not a good thing, right? And immediately, immediately, you can just go, well, you don't have to race, right? You can just kind of ride around. You don't, you don't have to do anything. Yeah, trust me, there is no safe place on a racetrack. <laughs> it's not going to matter. There's, there's no safe place. So that's great that everybody just says, yeah, I'll just ease out of it. Look, when you drop the green flag on this thing and you've got a driver sitting in a race car and you're telling them like, hey, we, we need you to go beat some people. They're not going to be cruising around. They're not going to be riding around, taking it easy. That's not going to happen, right? Because then they're not going to be in a race car for very long if other people know that they're willing to do that. So you got to save us from ourselves. I know that's the thing I've said now a couple of times. It's just, that's it. We need people to make these decisions thinking a little bit about what what's the risk reward here for the people that are at the racetrack, in the race cars, working on the race cars and the teams themselves. Yeah, exactly. It was, um, it was crazy. Uh, the races that that went on, like I said, the cup race was crazy. Truck race was a little less crazier. Xfinity was was more dry, but at least we don't have to to worry about that this weekend. They're not going to make you well. That does uh, bring up one thing. I remember. I think Joey Logano mentioned after the race that the <laughs> after all this, they actually had the the wet, damp tire test at Richmond scheduled the next day. You think right. they? You think they're reconsidering that all? No, I think this is full steam ahead, RJ, for the same reasons that we just talked about, right? Television is the one pushing this. This is not the teams. I don't really think it's NASCAR. I think it's television. Just saying, we want to be able to get back to racing quicker. And sure, that's the the at-track people too, where they go, well, we get we get cars back on track faster in damp conditions on, on the oval. All right. Again, is this the best product that we can put out there? I don't think it is. And on top of that, it's going to be a mess. Where now you're talking about having 40 cars driving around in damp conditions at Martinsville or Richmond. We just talked about spray off the cars. That's fine. They're doing a test with one car riding around. Think about 40. Yeah. It's just, it's going to lead to more stuff like this so now a wreck happens in front of me rj how good are those cars that stop and on a damp racetrack <laughs> just gonna slide probably probably can't right get in. stopped so what it, it's gonna look like a benny hill cartoon us all piling into a corner how much easier is it going to be to get spun out right okay you got one roll into your inside all right he taps me a little bit can i catch it Probably not. I mean, we're on a damp racetrack, so I'm probably going to slide. All right. Well, now everybody else is reacting and the car's not going to react the same way. So that's, we're, we're right back to, all right, well, we got going green faster, but we, we probably are going to wad up a bunch of the field. And so I, I'm just stunned that this is the direction that we're going in because it's, again, it's more of a pure entertainment side of this than anything skill-based or uh, a version of this where we're, we're really trying to put the best product on the track. We're not. We're just trying to put a product out there yeah. that we think people are going to have a good time watching. 
exactly. Yeah, I, st- I still think the Bristol Dirt Week, and that's why I'm I'm still kind of excited for not Knoxville, the truck race, because you know that's an actual dirt track. We've seen what trucks can do on an actual dirt track, and it's been pretty fun events. I I just still think Bristol was, and I mean it was in a in a way an entertainment thing. It was a show, right? Put on just an event. Okay, we're gonna throw dirt on Bristol because it's a it's a big place and it's Bristol, and we can get eyes on that show, you know, like that. So. You know, the, the cup race, because it didn't really, you know, the cup race, I knew it wasn't going to totally drive like a dirt track, right? Like Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, and Chris Windham weren't going to go and dominate the race. You know, sure. it, was, it was driving like old school Bristol. We had Joey Logano yeah. and Denny Hamlin, you know, fighting for the win at the end. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's just the way it was. I didn't think it was a total flat out dirt race like they were all saying it was. I mean, it was just, it was just an event. We put dirt on Bristol, still drove like Bristol. Uh, with dirt on it we had crashes cars torn up all race and that's why I, i'm i'm looking forward to knoxville and in, in july i believe yeah for the truck race because that'll it's it's definitely wider it's it's more it's a dirt track and i think it'll drive more like an actual dirt race instead of just the entertainment fest kind of that we put on uh, at bristol we just need to help with the visibility of these cars like the thing i will say about the dirt is at least it is consistent right rain is a little inconsistent that's what makes it so challenging and it's its own challenge and it's something that we're going to need to adapt to it's not going away anytime soon right i can sit here and complain about it and say that we could probably officiate it better and, and i think that's probably true and nascar would probably agree with me about that but it's not going away all right, well, then we need to work on visibility for the cars. That's a big thing there. It has to change. And it's the same for the dirt race. And to me, the answer is just pull the stinking windshield off the truck. That's the thing. Like, treat it like an outlaw late model. Treat, you know, give me like a little screen there in the front, take the windshield off the stinking car, and let me get some tear offs going. And that's fine. Like, to me, that, that's the easiest adaption we can make to this dirt racing that would make for probably a better race better product now the other thing is obviously track conditions track prep we talked about that in the bristol dirt race how how bad the visibility got at times during that race and it wouldn't it honestly wouldn't matter if you had a windshield or you didn't at that point now having a windshield made it worse right but when 35 cars fire off right in front of you and there's dirt flying everywhere and it's dust it's not really going to matter at that point. You're just not going to be able to see anything. And so we just cannot have that. So track prep is obviously critically important and visibility in general uh, can still be in the theme here. But yeah, we've proved we can still put on a pretty good show on a dirt track. I'm not against it. I just don't think that's our sweet spot. Yeah. <laughs> like we still put on a better show on Bristol asphalt than we will on Bristol dirt. We'll still oh, put on a better show at atlanta paved than we will at the roval in the wet that's our cars are just better at it that's what they do and and that's what we're we're best at as an organization as a series as a sport that's kind of our niche so to me that's where i want to see us leaning into lean into rockingham you know don't don't lean into don't lean into (laughs) uh you know the, the a road course on the streets of denver like Let's go to Wilkesboro. <laughs> like that's that's what we do. Let somebody else do the other thing. Yeah. So so one last bigger uh, question to talk about uh, before we wrap it up in a little bit. Um, you talked about preparing the cars, right? Our cars aren't prepared to do all this stuff. So now 
we're going into year where we are building a car, a new car for next year, the next gen car for the cup series. And there are so many different things we're trying to do a dirt race, racing in the rain, a street course, oval racing, just basic road course racing. Do you think uh, they are building this car to do all of these things? Uh, no, I think this dirt thing has thrown a wrench into a lot of it. Now, do I think this car is going to be better at road racing? Absolutely. Independent rear suspension, um, different parts of the car, more balanced car overall. It, it's built a lot more like, I mean, not like an IMSA car. I mean, that's really what this is. It's basically a Grand Am car. So it's going to be better on road courses than the cars we're currently driving. The dirt thing is, uh, and and really the circle track big stuff is a little bit, uh, they're not quite sure yet. Like, uh, how's this thing going to do at Talladega? Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> you know, so there's questions about it, but we know that it's a pretty good road racing car. What I would tell you though, is that when you got a car um, that you're designing, to do a little bit of everything, it's probably not going to do anything great, right? It's probably not going to do one thing really well. Like there's a reason that IndyCar has a oval track package configuration for their cars and a road course configuration and package for their cars because they are very different things and they know that if they just rolled the road racing car out there to the oval it's not going to put on as good a show and, and potentially it's not going to handle the way they want it to it's not going to drive good yeah that's it so they change it we're kind of doing the same thing here uh but you're trying to do it all with one car and i just don't think that's going to work and so we're going to wind up with this idea it was the same idea with the cot when the COT first came out, it was the idea, this is going to be one car, one chassis, doesn't matter if it's a road course, speedway, short track, intermediate, it's the same chassis, same dimensions, this is it. And immediately, all the drivers, all the teams just said, well, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks at everything. Uh, Kyle Busch even said he won the first race with it, got out of the car, famously it said, this car sucks <laughs> like and he's the one that won the race so immediately even though that was designed with the best of intentions of saving the team's money hey we're gonna have a universal chassis you know it's not gonna matter you're not gonna need all these different types of cars the body's gonna be the same the chassis is gonna be the same that immediately went out the window rj as soon as we got to actually race in the car and i got a feeling we're gonna be right back in the same boat here with this thing where it's gonna be here it is it's the one car to fix all look they'll adapt around it but it's going to be an, it's going to be a moving target it's not going to be perfect when they when they first release this car and they're probably going to do a lot of different modifications and changes to the rule book like we always do to allow for a better on-track package on-track product and and the teams are going to be the ones asking for this uh, they're going to want more custom uh customization in what they're able to do to the race cars even though the idea of just handing me a kit car and letting me set it up, that's a good idea. Theoretically, it would save money. I don't know that it's necessarily going to translate to the best thing we can put on the racetrack. Yeah, I'm sure there will be a lot of modifications going on throughout the season. I mean, next year, we're going to kick off the season with the next-gen car in the Bush Clash, which is now the road course, right? So we're not going to have uh, an over race until we basically go off for the duels and into the 500 they're going to want a good show for the 500 they i think they have they have a test 
uh, in August where they're going to put multiple cars on the track for the first time, see how the draft package works. So we'll see, we'll see what type of modifications they do if it works, because yeah, we're going to, there's a lot of things that they're trying to do probably for next year. You know, do we want, like, like you said, one car that's, that's good at what we're good at or modifying it to do everything else. And I don't know, it's, it's a mystery. I don't know what's going to happen. Say that NAS, NASCAR has banked everything on this car, RJ. They have really banked everything on this car. So if this is the direction we're going, and all the big teams have already agreed to it, and they've already said, yeah, we're going to lay off a bunch of people in the offseason. It is going to be judgment day uh, in, in December uh, at the end of this year for, for a lot of race shops. They're going to be cutting a ton of personnel. So this is the direction we're going. Well, if midway through the year next year, they're going, well, you know, actually, we, we probably need a little bit more of a, a road course chassis and a little more we'll have a speedway. Chassis. What, what are we going to do? We're going to hire them all back. So they are really committing to this thing and, and it's got to work. They, they got to make it work. Yeah. And I'm rooting for it. Like, I'm not sitting here like hoping for the demise of the cup. Like, I don't want that at all. Uh, I just know what our lane is. From an entertainment standpoint, I feel like what our fans are wanting is more short track racing, close racing, tight racing uh, with the best drivers in the world. That I, I don't think we have to make it a lot more complicated than that. And it feels like at times we are. Yep, we we will see. That's a big mystery. And hopefully it all goes well, because, yeah, like you said, they're, they are going all in on this next gen car. So. Um, just real quick, just confirmation um, that Circuit or not Circuit of the Americas, Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, the truck series won't be going there. They'll be going to Darlington, so you guys will have another triple header weekend. Uh, Nobody will be happier than all of the truck series teams uh, <laughs> to hear that news. So you're telling me all I got to do is drive an hour and a half south versus crossing a border into Canada to get paid less money. Uh, yeah, I think everybody's gonna be happy with that. Oh, yeah. So that'll be fun. Another triple header weekend in Darlington, not the throwback weekend uh, as we already had it. So, yeah, I uh, think that's yeah second year in a row. They won't have a race at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. But, hey, ideally, hopefully, um, if it's still on the schedule, they'll be able to go back next year. So well, here we go into Coke 600 weekend. Charlotte's got the super mega car ready to go. Yeah. For practice qualifying. You're expecting, uh, you said at the beginning of the show, expecting to be a pretty good hot rod? I am. Yeah, I, I feel really good about it. That's where you're hearing all the noise in the background here. Oh, yeah. um, is That's working on our on our new car. It's a new car for us, uh, but it's based around kind of the same package that we've run on the mile and a half before. Um, we've had two primary chassis that we've run. Uh, this is the third uh, in a series from uh, GMS Racing. And it's just the first time that we've assembled this chassis together. So we're excited to get to do a little practice with it, find out what kind of speed we got in it. We think it's going to run similar to the other cars we run. We had a great run at Darlington earlier this year uh, with the sister car to this. Uh, great run at, at Las Vegas with the sister car to this. Uh, we feel really good about it. So yeah. we're going to go there, uh, kind of take our best shot. Everybody's taking their best shot. To me, these races uh, with qualifying, the one thing we know is you're going to find out where you stack up against everybody from an equipment standpoint, because they're all going to be putting the best driver and their best equipment on the racetrack because they know it's, it's go or go home. It's, it's step up 
for shut up time uh, with there are only 36 sponsors, 43 cars. I mean, that's Daytona level qualifying pressure uh, here for this race at Charlotte. So I'm glad we got a little bit of a provisional in our back pocket, but we're expecting to go there and, and put this thing in the top 20, top 15 and qualifying and, and have ourselves a good race. Yeah, these have a lot of implications. It's not just like we had qualifying for every weekend. You could just, oh, if you DNQ, come back next week. Next week, won't have qualifying. So, uh, at least for these teams, like we said at the beginning of the show, watch the 13. Timmy Hill's in it this weekend. They're 21 points up on the 31 of Tyler Reddick, who, you know, Tyler Reddick's probably going to have a pretty good run in that in that RCR car. Yeah. Racing. yeah. And then you got Dylan Bassett in the 77. They're about... Looks like 20, 25-ish back uh, from the 13. So you never know. Strategy and, and comes to the end way. Where, yeah, where this stage points on this can happen. I mean, theoretically, so, right. So if you're Bassett, you're not just racing uh, Jordan Anderson, right? You're also racing that 13 car. And that's the only thing in the world that matters to these guys that have been sitting at home all year is getting into that top 40, getting locked in, because we're going to hit a stretch here, RJ. And I've got to sit behind my computer here at my desk where you talked about it, right? We're going to run Charlotte this weekend. We do not qualify at Mid-Ohio or Texas. We do at Nashville. Then we don't at Pocono. And then we do at Road America. And then we don't for three races. And then we do at Indianapolis. So you don't have many chances here to jump up in it. Like if it doesn't happen this weekend, you basically got to hope that the 13 or whoever's right in front of them in points basically screws up for a couple of weeks and then you got a shot at them at Texas or excuse me at or at Nashville you'll have a shot there and then you'll have another shot at Road America but you got to make it happen in like four races and realistically I think to those teams they're thinking I got to qualify in for all four of them on time and I got to score relatively like 25-ish points a race to get myself in it because we're going to hit a stretch especially after the Indianapolis road course uh, really, the only other time we're going to qualify all year is Phoenix at the end of the year. So that's your last chance is Indianapolis uh, in August. And then you're done until the last race of the year. So if you don't get yourself into that top 40 here, basically, I think by Road America, it's going to be really, really hard to get back in there. And you've got to have elite level speed and performance to really score that many points in a race. And you can't have anything bad happen. So a lot of pressure on those two teams that are right now on the outside looking in. And on those last couple of teams, which I believe is Johnny Davis. No, excuse me. I'm lying. It's Carl Long and uh, also the 52, I think. Yeah of yeah so that's great galding's car and jimmy means who's been a part of this series for so long so those would be the two getting kicked out for bassett and uh jordan anderson to get in so it's not just getting past the 13 it's really both of them have to get past both of those other cars to lock that field into 40. yep that bottom part it was a really uh the ss Greenlight 07 car you thought it was going to be a huge opportunity for them to go get points with ross in the car qualifies second and then all of a sudden bam first lap car breaks and so right. that then now they're still sitting 34th in owner's points um you got bj mcleod's in the 90 this weekend they're 36th in the owner's points for dgm landon yeah. castle still riding in the six car 
uh, for JD Motorsports, trying to get them some points. Uh, the NASCAR app gave up. Battle that they're in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the NASCAR app gave up on BJ McLeod Motorsports. They just didn't because they've been doing so many owners point swaps. They just took the numbers out from the side. It's, it's just blank. <laughs> it's just BJ McLeod Motorsports. But we we know one of their cars is in thirty eighth. Um, <laughs> I can't remember which one. That's it was. a five car. I believe yeah. the five car is the one that's the lowest in the points now. Yeah, yeah they or did a bunch the ninety nine. The ninety nine car is the one lowest yeah. in the points. It used to be the five and then they swapped it so i think now it's the 99 so yeah uh then yeah the means motorsports uh 52 for greg galding and 39th we know greg galding's a pretty good road racer so they didn't really have a problem getting into uh uh getting into circuit of the americas but we'll see we'll see what type of uh, speed they bring the mile and a half this weekend and then obviously timmy hill 13 tyler reddick 31 and dylan bassett 77 so big implications this is it this is it's go or go home uh we're See, sending this is yeah, a weird spot rj for, for me as a driver right like we're in our own battle like we're trying to stay in the top 20 in the owners yeah. points and in the driver's points and that's hard enough like we're racing a lot of guys i really feel like we missed an opportunity this past week some of those guys that are around me in the points actually had really bad days like josh williams is somebody i'm battling with he missed the race well, I scored 35th place, so I didn't really gain on him. And that was a chance at a road course where I feel like is a strong suit of mine. We could have run in the top 20 and really and we had a good day. So it was a missed opportunity for us, but it's the same for all those other guys, right? Where they're sitting there going, all right, what we know, and we don't wish this on anybody, but we know seven cars are going home. So the seven that go home, it creates an opportunity for the others that get in the field to gain big points if they have a good day and potentially set themselves up for the rest of the year here because what we know is we're going to have one two three four more like execution style qualifying runs in the next like eight weeks and those are going to be big time movers and shakers in the points during those events yeah so it'll be it'll be interesting to watch yeah right now martin's motorsports 19th you're right around ryan sieg who's finally hitting the hot streak kind of getting back into it the 39 team we knew they would eventually uh catch fire after the slow start yeah they had a tough day too rj and so we kind of jumped on them like the 68 had a bad day and the 92 didn't make the race uh everybody that we're racing in the points had had a tough day jeremy clements had a tough day so I really felt like we let one slip away there. And it happens, right? I mean, a, a motor blowing up there, not really a lot we could have done about it. Uh, it's just a parts failure there and it, and it happens. But boy, you, you sit there at the end of the day, you go, man, if there was ever a day that we could have really made up a big chunk here, that was it. And, and I know a lot of people were probably looking at that race the same way. Oh, yeah. So uh, Coke 600, obviously biggest race of the weekend, biggest, longest race of the year. Uh, a lot of people, you know, had their opinions on Chase Elliott's win. And Chase Elliott got his first one of the season, defending champion, finally. Um, at Circuit of the Americas, obviously, wasn't they? They were going to be, they weren't even going to make it on field to the end. If we would have ran that race to the end, they wouldn't have won the race. But right. I just don't see it as a fluke win, RJ. And yeah. I've heard of people say that, and all NASCAR is calling for Chase and all this. Chase had great speed. Uh, you're talking about probably oh, yeah. the best guy in NASCAR on a road course here. There's nothing fluky about this. I understand the timing of it. Really, this should have happened before that, while Chase Elliott was probably still in the lead. So, like, we, we should have probably red flagged this oh, race yeah. before it happened. So, I just don't see it as that. Well, I mean, they got a chance. They're the defending uh, defending Charlotte Oval winner. Missed out on the 600 just barely last year. Ended up winning the race after that. Um, but, I mean, you think they rebound this weekend? Kind of get that 600 win? <laughs> Maybe so. I mean, who... who Kendrick Motorsports has just 
has been on fire. It's hard to pick against anybody except them right now. And I think about a track like Dover that is so aero dependent. And it was like, to me, that shows off the platform of your car better than just about any other racetrack we're going to go to. So it was really hard for me to not pick Kyle Larson or somebody going into this weekend because I feel like that's that that's who's been up front. That's who's had this kind of level of speed all year. And maybe we go William Byron, you know, but but I'm not going away from the Hendrick Motorsports camp until somebody else really stands up and proves that they have the speed to match it. Yep. Another mile, mile and a half. I know Larson's, you, know, you can't count Larson out any week. Chase Elliott, they've been strong at Charlotte. William Byron, you know, their hot streak just, just broke their streak of top tens by finishing 11th in a race that was cut short because they had damage <laughs> in the left corner panel. So that's what it took for them to get out of the top 10. So I know they're going to be right. strong. And Alex Bowman, you can never count Alex Bowman now. He actually ran mm-hmm. well uh, in the 600 last year for, for a good majority of the race as well. So going to be interesting three races four races week in arc race on saturday so dang week weekend full of racing at charlotte it's going to be fun a lot of fun excited to get back out there home race for everybody a lot on the line for a lot of teams if you're a race fan this is as as good as it gets uh one of the crown jewels for sure oh yeah so uh maybe another i saw man i saw the jeff gluck tweet up at at circuit of the americas it returned <laughs> yeah and it, I made, was it like, made a comeback I, I didn't get a chance to get to that one uh but it's so good having fans back at the racetrack yeah. and, and that's it you know when, when i'm passionate on this uh, on this podcast and talking about some of this stuff the thing that i really keep in mind is the fan experience for all the people at the racetrack because yeah. that's that's what we kind of live off of that's what built the sport up to what it was what it is uh today um so we love having them back. It the passion and and all the all the energy. We missed it so much. Uh, so it means so much to have everybody back at the racetrack. And I hope a lot of people get to come out here uh, this weekend in Charlotte. I know we're going to put on a great show. Yeah, man, that that energy at Circuit of the Americas it was crazy. The fans that stuck through the rain, the pouring rain, the the winds. Yeah crazy awesome. and i just i see it awesome. i'm like man i know i'm probably going to daytona in august but i'm like i gotta get to somewhere before that so these these this energy i miss it standing up, standing up sit, packed house cheering for james davison making passes <laughs> for 38 uh it's awesome i mean that level of energy and excitement fun uh at a new venue uh i mean certainly the america's I just can't say enough about the venue. It was incredible. Uh, logistically, it was a challenge, I'll admit, as a race team. Like, that, that was tough. The weather conditions, everything else, it, it was a challenging weekend. Uh, but what a terrific venue. And, and I can't wait to get back there next year. Yeah, the it food's a, very uh, good, too. Uh, the food's great. Austin's <laughs> a great city. They sold a lot of tickets. Clearly, it was a successful event. Um, it's something that I'm excited to get back to next year and, and get another shot at it because, man, what a great racetrack, great facility. Um, can't say enough. And then we're going back to Charlotte here this weekend. Uh, really excited for that, too. It's just, look, NASCAR has so many great things going for it, RJ. I know I can sound a little negative at times. There are yeah. so many good things that we're doing uh, as a sport and as an organization moving forward. And I think we get to put on a great show, hopefully, this weekend at, at Charlotte uh, for one of the biggest races of the year. Yeah, biggest race of the year, full weekend practice and qualifying. So I know a lot of fans are excited for that. I am as well. So it's going to be fun. So look out for the Super Mega 44 on Saturday. Awesome. Another awesome paint scheme. So cool. 
Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. A uh, YouTube channel, check it out. Super mega. If you guys want to have a good laugh uh, this yeah. afternoon, everybody that's listening to the podcast, uh, you'll get to see uh, the guys on that super mega channel. They are they are so funny, and we're gonna have them down in the pits with us. That's really exciting. Um, they've already done so much to help us promote uh, yeah. our little team and everything, and, and so many new fans that have followed me on social media and, and had a lot of fun with it. Uh, all in good fun. Uh, no, nobody, nobody making fun of anything yet. Uh, <laughs> but everybody just having a, a good time with it. It's so outrageous that our YouTube channel uh, is doing this, uh, and they are really leaning into it. Matt and Ryan from that channel. Uh, man, we, we're excited to have them, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh yeah. Look out for it, man. That, that video that they put out was awesome. I love that. <laughs> yes. Introducing it. So here we go, man. It's uh, Coke 600 this weekend, four races. You got the truck race Friday, Xfinity race Saturday, and the big Coke 600 on Sunday. So thank you guys for tuning in for another episode of the Driving's Meeting podcast uh, presented by Bet Online. We'll see you next week. If you made it this far, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Driver's Meeting Podcast today, wherever you may be, and hope you stay tuned for upcoming episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and the Believe Podcasting Network. I'm not your stepping stone. I'm not your stepping stone. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.